welcome to Revolutionary Women. My name is Tess Silverman. Women around the world are constantly creating ways to make a difference in their communities, and today's guest is no exception. My guest today is Marissa Zeppieri. Marissa is a former journalist and Mrs. New York, and today is a speaker, the founder of New York nonprofit Lupus Chick, and the author of the memoir and cookbook, Chronically Fabulous. She is also a lupus patient and started Lupus Chick in 2007 as a way to provide resources, inspiration, and encouragement to people living with autoimmune disease. In her free time, she loves to paint, road trip, cook, and spend time with her family and rescue terrier. Hi, Marissa. Welcome to Revolutionary Women. How are you today? Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I am doing well today. Good. Good to. That's great to hear. So um, for those who don't know anything about you. Can you give me a brief description about yourself? Sure. I will try to uh, get it all in. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, if if you want, then I can just go right into it. Um, You know, I mean, so from what I read, you were born on Long Island and lived there through high school before moving to Florida. Now, what part of Long Island and how did you find growing up in New York? Uh, so we were on the South Shore. Uh, I went to Lindbergh High School. My family, most of my family is still there. They're on the North Shore now. And, you know, I really liked the area. And I just remember uh, it was, you know, a nice place to grow up. It was a good place to go to school. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a lot of my family was around. And then my grandparents moved to Florida. And we sort of migrated with them to Fort Lauderdale, which was a completely different way of life. But I loved it. I was there for 20 years. Oh, wow. So... Yeah. I didn't realize it so was, was that nice. long. Oh, wow. Okay. And so I read that you were raised by your mom and grandparents, correct? Correct. Okay. So how did being raised by your mom and grandparents affect how you saw the world and how you lived in the world? You know, I think I'm really lucky that I had such a strong relationship with my grandparents and I was around them as much as I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we lived with them for many seasons of life growing up. Mm-hmm. because they had, you know, when I think about it in terms of like our life today, they had a really simple view on life and it was just, you know, you work hard, you enjoy time with your family. We had family. We had like my, my grandfather had their, his mother had 19 children. Oh my So goodness. we had, <laughs> yeah, we had aunts and uncles that lived like within a five mile radius. And so every night, like somebody was at your house, we always had a lot of people in the house Aww. and you know, you just, you all cooked together and you ate and you played cards and you were wow. all very close with your family. And, uh-huh. um, they were, I could, you know, growing up, I could see how like living through the depression and things like that still influence their behavior mm-hmm. and, you know, just with cleaning things up and, and not waste, not wasting anything. Mm. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I, I actually am happy that I was raised so much by them because I think it really like made me a more of like a down to earth, like very well-rounded individual. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so you mentioned like, you know, 19, um, are a lot of them still around or are they like, you know, are they still with us? Um, most of them are gone. Mm. Uh, my grandmother's sister was one of the last and she just passed at 102. Most of my oh families my lived into their nineties. Yeah. That's amazing. So 
Yep, we have, I think, we have two, uh, I have two aunts that are left. Mm. Um, but, yeah, mm. and actually my grandfather's twin brother, which is odd because they are identical twins. So when you see him, it's, you know, <laughs> oh, it's no. such a weird. Yeah, <laughs> wow. Yeah, that must be a little uh, eerie. <laughs> it's like to see him, his face, and then not your grandfather. Right. Wow. And so, like, you mentioned, like, being, like, always cooking and being in the kitchen. So hearing stories, you must have learned, you know, a lot of lessons from them. You know, I like did. Be, okay. That's really Very cool. different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, my grandmother and my, my grandparents were so different, but I guess that's what made them work, so... Mm-hmm. You know, I have things from both of them that I took away. Oh, that's really cool. Okay, so then you moved back to New York after 20 years. What made you move back? So I didn't realize it at first, uh, but so I have lupus, and my biggest trigger, which is for a very large portion of lupus patients, is the sun and the heat. And so I was really like a prisoner down there towards the last seven or eight years of living there. I really couldn't even leave the house until after seven or eight o'clock at night, and even then it was an issue because sometimes it would still be so hot. Um, But... You know, we came up to New York uh, to visit family and then see my dad. And we were near the Canadian border. It was very cold, which Mm -hmm. I love the cold weather. Mm -hmm. And we Mm -hmm. noticed in those couple of weeks that I felt good. I didn't have a lot of my symptoms and I only needed about half my medication. Hmm. So we saw that in the cold weather, I tended to do better. Ah, Okay. And so you're currently, well, you're still living in New York then. That's good. Wow. Okay. And so... I read it. You're a health and food journalist. How did you get into writing about health and food? And have you always wanted to be a writer? I've loved writing since I was young, mm-hmm. uh, but I was always told, well, you can't make a living in writing. Don't go to school for that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like everyone told me that. Yep. Uh, so I loved art and I loved medicine. I got an art degree and then I went back to school. I did my undergrad in chemistry and I was in nursing school. Oh, my goodness. Uh, okay. And that's when I wound up getting sick. Oh. But I had enough knowledge at that point And then obviously my own you know, experience then with illness, uh, Mm -hmm. that once I started writing, my interest was always in like the human body and health and, you know, what role food plays and things like that. Mm. Okay. Um, so you created lupus check. Well, you, you, you just mentioned that you have lupus. So you created lupus check 13 years ago. Um, can you tell me what prompted you to start it? Yeah. So, when uh, okay, I was and diagnosed. also, I'm sorry, and so okay. you were officially diagnosed with lupus at the age of 23. Um, but how did that diagnosis come about? So I definitely had lupus symptoms since I was eight, but it was the 80s and no one tested for it. We never heard anything. And trust oh, wow. me, my mom always took me to the doctors because uh-huh. we knew something was wrong. Wow. Um, so we just sort of got brushed off for many, many years mm-hmm. and... When I was in my 20s, you know, I sort of just dealt with the symptoms and and learned over time, you know, what to do, what not to do. But Mm -hmm. I didn't know what it was. I just thought I was just not a a healthy person. Mm -hmm. So when I was in college and in my early 20s, I was actually crossing the street in Fort Lauderdale and I got hit by a drunk driver as a pedestrian. 
And so a lot of autoimmune diseases, you know, the symptoms will come out all at once after a major trigger. And that was my major trigger. And so I had like a year recovery and it was during that time that I also got very ill. And that's how I wound up getting the actual diagnosis. Mm. Wow. Holy cow. A year recovering from being hit by a drunk driver. Oh my gosh. Yep. That's insane. Um, so how long were you, I mean, so what types of medication or therapy have you had and have they helped over the years? Yeah, so there's not a lot of medications specifically made for lupus. There's actually only one medication ever FDA approved for lupus, and that's just in the last few years. But mm -hmm. unfortunately, it doesn't work for everyone. Mm -hmm. So we tend to use a lot of immunosuppressants and things that were made for other illnesses. So we use hydroxychloroquine, which is a malaria medicine, which we're sure you heard a lot about mm -hmm. during COVID. Mm -hmm. um, that's our main, like, so that's usually our first line of drugs. And then steroids are really big in lupus and also some other immunosuppressants, like some old chemotherapies, which I've been on at times. Mm -hmm. And then we have these newer like biologic drugs that they use for like RA, but they also would use for lupus. Mm -hmm. um, so it's sort of like a, a crapshoot, I, I guess you can call it. It's, it's really depending on what your symptoms are at the time and how what severity the flare is, and then you sort of go through these drug cocktails until you figure out what works for you. Oh, my gosh. So it really is like trial by fire, trial and error. Absolutely. And some of, you know, all of these medications are really heavy-duty medications. So mm -hmm. they come with their own set of side effects. Mm -hmm. And so how long before you would start, to, let's say you take one kind of medication how long are the side, do the side effects last before you can start feeling better if, in your case <laughs> um <laughs> it, i guess it varies yeah. yeah i mean it's taken me it took years for me to get on a, a good enough medication regimen that i was able to really care for myself there were many years there where um, I was in a wheelchair. I needed help really just doing regular activities. I couldn't work, um, you know, so I went from a very independent college student to I needed help with everything. Wow. And that was about six or seven years. And I finally, you know, started to get a handle between medication, lifestyle changes, mm -hmm. recognizing what triggers, you know, every, every person with autoimmune disease has triggers that will, you know, trigger symptoms, you know, you need to recognize them over time. And then also working with like functional medicine doctors and nutritionists and really figuring out what else can we do besides medicine to possibly help some of these symptoms. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Um, so you started Lupus Check, and did you have, what was your intention behind starting Lupus Check, and what was, did you have an aha moment with it? Yeah, so when, you know, so I'm diagnosed in 2001, we don't have social media, like, you know, we have the internet, but it's like a joke compared to what we have today, right? Mm -hmm. So there was no, like, jumping online and just typing in what is lupus, because mm -hmm. nothing, nothing would show up. And so over the years, as I was starting to sort of come to terms and learn more about this illness and what it was like to actually live with it, mm -hmm. you know, fast forward to about 2007, mm -hmm. 2008, and 
all these blogs started popping up and people started blogging. And mm. that's also when I started my journalism career. So it all sort of worked around the same time. And I mm. thought to myself, if I can start a blog about just what life is like with lupus and maybe at least connect with a couple of other people, mm-hmm. because I didn't really know anyone else with mm-hmm. the illness right. in my yeah. in my city. Um, so it was just sort of like an online pen pal sort of thing. Uh-huh. And, you know, that little idea going into it, not knowing really what I was doing at all, mm-hmm. um, turned into we reach a half a we reach 500,000 people a month now wow. on all of our social media that's incredible oh my god so yeah it's been really neat yeah i mean i so i read that you know like after you were diagnosed with lupus you wanted to meet other people who had lupus as well as you and you only knew of one person who had yes. it in your city what was that a surprise to you when you found that out um you know I mean, it was I back think then, they I'm were, sure. the, yeah, but it seemed normal back then because I didn't know any better. But mm. now, years later, I know a couple of things. One, because we didn't have social media and we didn't have this technology and there really wasn't a way to connect. Mm-hmm. Um, most people didn't speak up about it. You, you didn't even know if they had lupus. Mm. Um, I think there was definitely back then, you're going back, you know, two decades ago when I was diagnosed, mm-hmm. there was a shame that was sort of, or an embarrassment that was sort of around the, the idea of lupus because it was very misunderstood. No mm-hmm. one knew what it was. Mm-hmm. If you if you had it on your skin and you had, you know, the discoid lupus, people would think you're contagious. They wouldn't mm-hmm. want to come near you. So I think a lot of people just didn't say anything, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, but if you look in the, you know, the numbers, I think it's like one in roughly 140 people have it. So in a huge city like Fort Lauderdale, where there's millions of people between yeah. Broward and Dade County, right. they were there. Wow. I just had no way to, to you know, engage with them at that time. But that's right. what ma- has made social media for as, as bad as it can be in many ways, it can be so amazing in other ways. And I think that's one of the ways is actually connecting people because mm-hmm. when you're sick and you're at home, you could feel really lonely. Yeah. Oh, well, so speaking of that, I mean, growing up, you said you were constantly, you were always sick and you would go to doctor's offices and, you know, you didn't know what was going on. Was it hard to um, maintain friendships? Was it hard to, like, have people over in your case? Um, I mean, we moved around a lot and I was sick. So, yeah, I definitely... I actually am still friends with some of my friends from elementary and middle school. Oh, so cool. that there were, yeah. So there's some, there's still some of my best friends. And so that was neat that we were able to stay in touch all those years. Mm-hmm. But, um, I think just the overall school experience mm-hmm. and, you know, like going out with your friends and stuff at night, I never really had that. I missed so much school and I was so sick. So as I'm saying, like most of my days were really spent with my grandparents. Mm, okay. Wow. Which to me was a blessing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So let me get into that. So, so you are, you wrote your memoir, Chronically Fabulous. Amazing book, by the way. Um, Thank you. So can you tell me what your, what the thinking was behind this book and what was your goal for this book? So on Lupus Check, I noticed like no matter who we were talking to, even if they didn't have lupus or they had overlap or some other autoimmune disease, there's a lot of very similar questions. Mm. So at first it started as a, let me sort of get this all down 
so that there's an easy place for people to go and get, you know, the answers to their questions. Mm -hmm. So then it, it kind of morphed over the, over the years where I wanted to sort of weave my story into it as well. And then as time had gone on, it was, you know, I've learned so many things that have helped me mm-hmm. and I love to share that knowledge. So it sort of became like a memoir slash self-help. Like, mm-hmm. let me share all of this knowledge and mm-hmm. make, you can make your own plan of action, you know, for mm-hmm. things that you want to try. Okay. Um, so it's sort of like a high, we call it a hybrid memoir. Oh, okay. I, that's a new term for me. Okay. Thank you for that. And so one of the things I loved, you wrote this quote, life will hit us with different seasons that knock us to the ground, leaving us battered, bruised, and feeling empty. No one is exempt. What did you mean by that? And I love the description of what we go through as life seasons. Um, but what did you mean by that? So with with lupus, I look at everything as sort of like seasons because I have flares that have lasted, you know, two to three months. And I have had some that have lasted like a year. And to me, mm. it's just a season of life. Um, and, and so in the book, I also liken it to like a seed, you know, mm-hmm. of coming, you know, you have to go through this dark place, which is winter. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then comes spring and you're able to flourish once again. Mm. Uh, and it's very similar with autoimmune or chronic illness. You're going to have these times when things seem really dark. There's there's no life like you're not doing much. Maybe you're not leaving the house. You're just solely focusing on getting through the flare and healing through that so that you can get back to life. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. When I mean like no one is exempt, even if you don't have lupus, you Mm -hmm. know, I have friends that go through their own traumas and their own difficult periods of life. Mm -hmm. Um, But like the seasons, everything changes. So you're never going to stay in one of those periods of life forever. It it, it will eventually change. It could be five years from now. It could be five days from now. Yeah. But it's really to give them hope that this is where it is right now, but this isn't how it will be forever. I love that. Thank you. Um, in your book, you've described this incredible support system, which was your, which is your mom and your grandmother. Um, do you think their strength and faith is what kept you going and not let you give up, even when you thought you didn't know how to do so? Oh, I think absolutely. I mean, my family has a very strong faith. Uh, I was raised by very outspoken, strong Italian women, <laughs> and um, you know. It's just very much of very in, encouraging, mm-hmm. but also a little bit of uh, you don't have any other choice. Like, you know, yeah. we're not millionaires <laughs> or anything else. So, like, right. you, like, we all have no choice. Like, we have to keep going because, like, we always, I always heard in my house, no one's coming to save you, like, mm-hmm. in life. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no person that's going to swoop in like for, for everything. Like yeah, maybe there's people there that help you, of course, mm-hmm. but like no one's going to come in and save you. Um, so now I have my faith, you know, I, I, I can see very clearly how God has worked in my life in so many ways, but I think that there's also an expectation on me. I have to put that next foot forward mm-hmm. and, I'm just such a type A personality. Like I'm never going to give up. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to keep pushing. I love but that. I've just learned as I've gotten older, like at the times that I don't feel well, it's okay to take a step back for a little while. Mm. I hear you. Yeah. I mean, you. everybody goes through, I guess, what I would call slumps, but 
it's really like a, a way of just, like you said, stepping back and resting and then going through, you know, and just like pushing through it or maybe not even pushing through it, but just like resting so you can actually feel better and then keep going. So, right. And, and I, I have to tell you, I loved, I love your grandmother. Oh my gosh. She was just incredible from what I read from your memoir. She was just like, no nonsense, but very loving and just very caring, very nurturing. And I mean, I never grew up with grandparents. My grandparents were already gone by the time I was young. But by the time I was actually, um, I was born, they were gone. So my only, my only grandparents were really from my husband's side. And I've seen from, you know, one grandmother how nurturing can, uh, how nurture can be. And it's so amazing. And, and mm. so when I read that from your book, I was just like, oh, my gosh, that's, she's just so cool. <laughs> you know, I was just Aww. like, that's so neat. And just like the, your description of being out on the stoop and having her, oh, my gosh, her dessert, I guess, her, her pastry and her espresso. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. just like, and her cigarette. <laughs> and her cigarette. I was just like, oh, my gosh, how quintessential New York is that? <laughs> I was like, even though it was in Florida, but it was just like very, very, it's just like, this is who I am. This is how we are, you know, and, and it's great because you really connected with her when you went, when you did that ritual, I guess it was more like, you know, a, a nightly, was it a nightly thing? When you did that? Um, I mean, it was most days, you know, yeah. we would sit outside at least for a little while and we cooked together almost every day. So yes. we had a lot of, you know, um, time together. That's amazing. I love that. And I mean, your mom was amazing also, is amazing. But, you know, I think I got more, more, um, I guess, impact from the way your grandmother was with you. And I was just like, oh, I just felt like, Wow, you know, it's like I wonder if all grandmothers are like that, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. But it's really. I think really... there's something about that generation of Italian grandmothers because a lot of my friends I grew up with, you know, their grandparents were very similar. But mm-hmm. I think I just had this life experience where you know I lived with them so mm-hmm. much, so I was around my grandparents probably more than you know, most people I know. Right. But you know, and then I had all these, also these aunts and uncles every day that were around. And <laughs> yeah, you always had a yeah. full house. I love that. Always. That's if awesome. my house is quiet, you can almost feel like something's wrong. <laughs> I love that. Um, so you wrote that you were your grandmother's helper in the kitchen from a very young age. Did you love making food as much as she did when you became an adult? I love to cook and bake I, mm. if I could just do that all day long as a job <laughs> I would be I'd be, I'd be left alone and just cook and bake for someone like I would be in heaven oh, um I, I don't it. I'm not a huge eater though that's the weird thing it's like I'll nibble here and there really? my, my husband calls me a grazer yeah he's like you're just a grazer you're like a cow oh my um, gosh I love <laughs> it so do you use some of her recipes have you used them or have you tweaked yeah. it even when you did use a recipe yeah, so actually some of her recipes, um, after every chapter in the book is a recipe, a lot of those are yes. hers, but I oh. have tweaked them for more of a chronically ill autoimmune uh, diet. Okay, okay. I, I love that, actually. I, that was a nice surprise when I looked in, when I read your book, and I'm like, oh, every chapter has a recipe. That's so cool. <laughs> it's like, I mean, yeah. it's really neat because, again, it was... It was um, 
I, like, I guess it was definitely a part of who you are, as well as, you know, putting your grandmother's, your love of your grandmother in that, by putting those recipes. I love that. Um, okay, so your grandmother passed away, and then I read that you didn't have the desire to be in the kitchen, let alone cook in your own kitchen. How long did it take you to come back to it and be comfortable being back in the kitchen? Um, you know, it was such a weird time. Like my grandmother, I lived with my grandmother right up until I got married. You know, I was also very Italian. Like you don't move out of the house until you get married. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I get married, I move and, uh, you know, two big life things right at the same time. Mm -hmm. And thank goodness I was only 10 minutes away from her. And mm -hmm. then two weeks later she passes away actually we came oh. home from our honeymoon early uh so that you know obviously so i could see her oh, wow. and after she passed away i found out unexpectedly like four weeks later that i had a brain aneurysm so it was not oh a great gosh. time oh geez and okay. i just remember like coming down the stairs and i did not feel well and i was definitely mourning and i hadn't been eating and i was i was really a hot mess and I remember coming down the stairs of my new house and looking at the kitchen and it seemed like this foreign kitchen. I didn't want to be in it. Like I knew that I was never going to be in my grandmother's kitchen again. Mm. I was, no one thought she was going to die. It was very unexpected. Um, and I just sort of had this, I don't eat when I'm stressed out, which I know there's like people that don't eat and people <laughs> that it, like it comforts them to mm -hmm. eat when they're stressed or sad. Right. I won't eat at all. Wow. And so I just had zero desire to be near that kitchen. I didn't want to touch, like, because I had taken some of the bowls that she gave me. Mm. I wanted nothing to do with it. Um, wow. I think it was a good year until I really was, I guess, had joy again to be in there. Mm. I needed time to mourn, I think. Yeah. Well, I'm sure. I mean, I can only imagine, you know, like being in a space where you you always had your grandmother and then all mm -hmm. of a sudden she's not there and then wait wait that's not right <laughs> you know that's like how is that possible um but i'm so glad that you came back to it because that's when you know i mean you were able to bring back life into the kitchen as well as you know bring her back in a way so, right so hmm um so who would you who would you credit for where you are now, and what have you learned from them? Well, I think my mom and my husband have been major influencers in my life. Um, they've helped me so much over the years, you know, especially since my grandmother has passed away. Mm -hmm. And I just have a really strong faith. Like I said, like I can very clearly see like God's hand in my life and, you know, just the journey that I'm on and mm -hmm. what I'm supposed to be doing. And, you know, I have amazing friends. I have very supportive people in my life. So I'm very lucky. I feel mm -hmm. very blessed to have so many amazing people around me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and everyone that is in my family and in my life, uh, we're, all, we're all pretty straightforward and we really don't have much of a filter. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, it, people tell you like what you need to hear in love. It might be like uncomfortable, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. I appreciate that because it pushes you to get to the next level, I feel like. Okay. So let me take you back a little bit. So 
during the pandemic, how was that for you? I mean, were you able to, uh, when you had flare-ups, did you have a flare-up during the pandemic? I had one of my worst flare-ups during the pandemic. I actually lost my eyesight in my right eye. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> oh, my gosh. So the pandemic, I'm sure for everyone, obviously was a nightmare. But um, being in New York, especially in the very beginning, we were terrified. My mom lives with me. She's elderly now. She's not in good health. Mm. Um, so, you know, we hear about in the very beginning, these, all these really high numbers in New York and mm -hmm. then everything shut down. Like the yeah. streets were like ghost towns. Right. Yeah. And I didn't leave the house for about, I think six months straight. So I felt like I was getting like cabin fever. Like mm -hmm. I was going a little insane because I needed to be around people. And we were all stuck in the house together. And it was like, just trying to get food was such an ordeal. And mm -hmm. then, you know, like I would go through this process of like throwing all the, the cartons out and washing the food. And mm -hmm. like, it was this whole thing. Right. Yeah. And then the stress, because we knew so little about it and I'm on all these immunosuppressants. So I have zero immune system. Mm. All I kept thinking was, um, I started having these panic attacks again at night. I hadn't had an anxiety attack probably in about 10 years. Um, so I started having these anxiety attacks that if I got COVID with mm -hmm. all of the medicines I'm on and my body the way it is, that mm -hmm. it would certainly be my death sentence. Like that's really what I felt in the very beginning. Oh, wow. um, mm. So I went into this really bad flare and I got something with lupus called optic neuritis where your optic nerve gets inflamed and you lose your eyesight. Hmm. Well, the treatment for that is going to the hospital and getting a major uh, infusion of steroids. But my doctors refused to send me to the hospital uh -huh. and I did not want to go to the hospital, yeah. obviously. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we did everything at home, but it was, you know, it was just so stressful. And then every day when my husband would come home from work, because he was, um, what do they call like mandatory? Mm -hmm. um, oh, wow. I would make him strip at the door mm -hmm. and like, you know, it just, he couldn't touch anything. We were, yep. it was this, this, you know how it is. Like, it mm -hmm. was just terrifying. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. By the, you know, by the grace of God, my mom and I never got COVID. Oh, that's wonderful. That's great to hear. Oh, so. oh man. Oh boy. But <laughs> social media, you know, I have to say like social media and technology to be able to stay in touch with people especially during that time mm -hmm. and also relay information especially in the chronic illness community for people that were getting COVID and were chronically ill like because we we couldn't have the outside contact mm -hmm. I mean I think that it helped immensely wow. to people that were really struggling and in need oh oh my gosh yeah I can't even imagine like being you know having a, a chronic illness and then having to have getting sick on top of that and then not being able to go to the hospital because you don't want to get COVID. It's like you don't want to get sicker and possibly worse. Right. So, wow. Yeah, I, I yeah. oh, that's crazy. Wow. Yeah, I just remember, like, I remember one specific day during all of that, just very upset, you know, and I'm not really a, a crier, but it was like, okay, do I try to do all of this at home and, and pray my eyesight comes back? Mm -hmm. So it's like eyesight over potentially getting COVID in the hospital and possibly dying because mm, yeah. the hospitals here were flooded with COVID at that time. Right. And yeah. I think they were still trying to figure out what was the best, you know, course of action. We didn't mm -hmm. have all of these drugs too that we have right now. Mm -hmm. 
Oh my God. So I went with the eyesight. <laughs> yeah. Did you regain your sight? So I gained my sight back. Um, it took a couple of weeks on medication. I wound up losing it two more times. Oh, wow. Um, so it's been an ongoing issue ever since then. But, um, you know, we're handling it. Okay. That's good. Okay. So what are your goals going into 2022? So after the book, I, you know, I felt like I needed a little bit of break from writing. I, I retired from journalism and it had been 13 years. Mm-hmm. And um, the book was a three-year project from selling it to shelf. Mm. And so I took a, I took about a good uh, nine months off now, 10 mm-hmm. months since mm-hmm. the book came out. Okay. And um, I thought that that would probably be the only book that I would write, but I, you know, maybe in the past month, I would say I have this itch again to start writing. So that's probably oh, okay. going to be on my list, another book. And, cool. um, yeah. And my family and I are all moving, uh, to the Carolinas. So I'm looking forward to that. Oh, like a, really? just a new season of life. Okay. Wow. That's huge. <laughs> Those are like yeah. two big things. And that's exciting. That's really, yeah, that's very exciting. And so what are your goals for the lupus community that you're involved in? So with Lupus Chick, we are ramping up our college scholarship stipend that we do. Uh, we give away two stipends a year to a man or woman with lupus that's in college. Mm-hmm. And, it could, you know, it could be someone there in college for the first time. It could be a 50-year-old mom that's going back to college. You know, we, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. If you're in school, we want to help. And mm. so we've given out 15 scholarships already. We gave wow. out our last one in November. And um, those are all donor funded. So they're usually from an individual or a brand, like a company will uh-huh. donate, you know, one of the scholarships. So uh-huh. that's like one of our biggest outreaches right now. And also, um, you know, just more videos. A lot of people like uh, video libraries about like different things that they could just, you know, watch a couple minutes, maybe about a symptom or, or something to just help with everyday life. Mm-hmm. You know, those are some of our bigger projects that we're working on. Oh, that's really amazing. Huh. Thank you. And so is there a way for others to get involved with Lupus Check? Yes. So it's a little, things are a little strange just because of, you know, COVID and yeah. not everything's open. But right. we do have, um, we have freelance writers. Uh, we have people that, especially like in college, some people need a semester Mm -hmm. of interning for college credit. We've Mm -hmm. had about 20 interns over the years. So whether they're in graphic design or nonprofit, um, you know, we, we find places for people. Mm -hmm. So that's been really neat. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, when we do our online events, you know, sometimes we occasionally look for other patients to be speakers and things like that. So there's a variety of ways and also even being, um, like the scholarship donor, because then we, we advertise whoever that is, or if mm-hmm. they have a brand, you know, as part of our team. Oh, cool. Okay. And so what does the future hold for you? I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> well, you... one thing I've learned in my life. <laughs> I can make as many plans as I want, but my body usually has a different strategy. That's true. Um, okay. You okay. know, I, I don't know, maybe more books, maybe some artwork. I, I know oh. I've gotten really back into my art since uh, COVID being stuck in the house. So uh-huh. I don't know. Well, you started a jewelry um, line, correct? 
We did. We started Valley Moon, which is a the sister site to Lupus Chick. And okay. the reason I started that, it's, you know, we have a lot of really neat jewelry on there. It's valleymoonjewels.com. It's um, a portion of every sale goes to our college scholarship fund. So it's oh, another way for us awesome. to not only Kia, keep it alive, but hopefully give out higher amounts. Mm-hmm. That's great. Okay. So is there anything you haven't yet tried that you would like to do? Oh, let's see. I love to travel. Okay. Um, so I've never been to Europe and my, a lot of my family is still in Italy. So I would really oh, like to get there. Cool. Um, and I feel like as I, as I'm getting older and I've survived so many things, I have, um, more of a desire to do maybe riskier things like skydiving and <laughs> oh, stuff like that. Oh, good for you. <laughs> um, That's awesome. Yeah, so I have some ideas. That's really yeah. cool. Sure. You know what? I mean, if you can, why not? That would be amazing. Yeah. And you should document it, you know? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That I will. So I want to cool. try as many things as possible, you know, however long I have here. That's really awesome. Okay. So is there anything you'd like to say to the listeners? I think just in like the space of chronic illness, you know, if you know someone that has chronic illness, I think it's really important to just keep in mind, like, we are just like you, we have so many dreams, we have so many things that we want to do, it, we get very frustrated, because our body doesn't usually allow us to do all of the things that our mind wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think the most important thing is to remember, like, I look completely healthy on the outside. I was in pageants. I was Mrs. New York. You would never know I'm sick. So it's very important to keep in mind, like, what you're looking at at someone on the outside literally tells a a minuscule amount of what is actually going on in their life. So, you know, just be compassionate and be kind and not not be judgmental, especially Mm -hmm. with chronic illness. Like, again, you would you would never look at me. And think all of the things that I've gone through, you know, have happened. Wow. Thank you for that. If you had one thing to change that you wish had done years ago, what would it be? I would have never been where I was on April 23rd. I would mm. have stayed home, which my gut told me not to go out that day. And I wow. I always wonder if I was not, if I was not hit by the truck, where my life would be today. Huh. But then again, had you not gone through that, you know, I mean, I wonder if you would have, I wonder if you would have um, gotten to where you are now anyway, you know, just like Yeah, that. it's true. Yeah, I always wonder, you know, it kind of reminds me of that movie Sliding Doors. It's, yeah. you know, uh-huh. I have no idea where my life would have wound up. And, you know, I do. I love my life today. I'm very thankful for everything that has happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um you know, my dream was I really, I really did think that I would be in the medical field and, and traveling and, you know, maybe on a mercy ship or, mm. or a Peace Corps somewhere helping people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like the fact that I do get to help people today. It just looks a little bit different, you know, than what I originally imagined. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, last question would be, if you could go back in time, what advice would you tell your younger self? Um, I think it would be a mixture of 
don't be afraid to say no to people and things mm-hmm. um, at the expense of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And then also to really drive home the idea of boundaries and why they are so critical in our lives and in many different ways and many different areas. Um, it's something now as an adult that I'm working on. Uh, but I, I wish that things like that had been better explained to me when I was younger. Mm. I think it could have caused a lot, a lot less like heartache and stress. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for that. Marissa, oh my gosh, thank you for coming on the show. I will have to thank Sally Lou Loveman for connecting me with you. I mean, I love her. And, then, and when I saw you at the, as um, the guest for her show, I was just like, the, your story like really blew me away. And I really I thank you for coming on to the show. Um, and your book is amazing, and I hope people will get it. Um, it's you know it's on Amazon it's on uh, and again it's chronically fabulous and it's really a very very incredible book because it really tells your life story and it it weaves so much of like your journey through your health um, as well as relating to food and your grandmother and your mom and it just it was a beautiful book and and I really loved it Um, but you know Good luck to your future endeavors, and I hope you'll keep me posted. And, and I can't wait for the next book. If you are planning on writing one, that would be amazing. And I want to know if you are going to go skydiving. <laughs> I think that would be so cool. <laughs> I think that would be amazing. Um, but again, thank you for sharing your story with us and you know, for living the way you are and, and just like really... Um, what a beautiful way to live, you know, even with everything that's, that you've gone through and still going through, you're still, you know, you're still in it, which is great. Yeah. So thank you. Oh, thank yeah. you for having me on. I loved it. Oh, good. Thank you. Okay. Well, I will speak with you soon. Um, have a good night and I'll talk to you later. Okay. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. That's our show for today. I've posted more information about Marissa Zapieri on revwoman.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll tune in every Thursday for another episode of Revolutionary Woman. You can listen to Revolutionary Woman on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Just a little note, I've launched a Patreon account to support the show. All proceeds will go to producing and editing the episodes to give my poor husband a break for being my personal IT and production department. He wrote this. The address is patreon.com slash revwoman.